Hey everybody, welcome back to the Melanated Faith Podcast. And today, Catherine and I are going to talk about um, being black girls that were raised in the suburbs. And we're going to talk about identity and just how our identity was shaped as young girls. And we know that that might be a conversation that other people, maybe you've thought about it, not thought about it, um, but it's really important to talk about because our identity and our childhood actually has like a big impact on who we become as adults. So we're going to take a blast to the past. Um, and this is a little bit of a reflection on some of the things that I talk about in chapter one of my book, Remember Me Now. Um, so definitely go check it out and we're going to jump in. So Catherine, if you could describe your childhood in three words, what would you say? Yeah. Okay. I've thought about this a lot. I would say blessed, sheltered, and loving. Um, I think that I would say blessed. I mean, we, I feel like I just had no idea of like any sense of like money or how we were privileged relative to other people because like everybody was the same as me until I like went to college. This is really sad to say. Um, until I went to college and I was like, oh, not everyone lives like this. Mm -hmm. Like not everyone has this kind of house not everyone has these parents like who can support I mean I went to like Europe I went to Paris and Switzerland when I was like 15 and so like this sort of these sorts of experiences this is a blessing that you're privileged in some way to be um, middle class even as like a, a black person and I would say sheltered because I don't think I was like hyper aware Okay, I will say shelter for multiple reasons. Sheltered, because my parents, I think we've talked about this before, were very strict. I could not, the only channel I could watch without my parents' permission was the Disney Channel. Nickelodeon, we had to have pre-approval for the shows. I remember when I was like that in high school, like The Simpsons, everybody was always talking about The Simpsons. And my mom was like, I was like, mom, it's a cartoon. She was like, it's not for kids. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would say sheltered for that reason. But then I think also too, like, even though like we, there weren't like a ton of black people, I don't think there were any black people in our neighborhood when I was growing up. Maybe because like I was uh, like smart and, you know, I just don't have like very vivid memories of a child being super aware that like of race and racism and I'm sure things happened I think I'm sure I know just because this is America but I feel like I had a very sheltered childhood and it wasn't until like I was older that I was like oh you're a black person in America um and I will say I think even though I was the only black person in our neighborhood I it was pretty diverse. And so like my dad used to call my friend group the United Nations. <laughs> and so I think that also too maybe was like a, just like a shelter protection. It's like there were so many different types of people in our neighborhood that um, that, that also colored my experience. And then I just feel like I was well loved. My, my parents, like the church, um, my siblings, like I had friends, like, yeah, I looking back on it, I feel like I had probably a pretty um, idyllic childhood what about you how would you describe yours I would say my three words are well-loved sheltered and fun I had a great childhood I loved my childhood yeah there's I, I look back on that time in my life with great joy I think it's one of the reasons that I'm 
really want to have children is because I I just loved my life. Like, my parents did a good job. We did yeah. not have a perfect childhood by any stretch of the means. We were a, um, my brother and I joke about this all the time, um, but we were a one-income household. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, and she homeschooled us. We were, like, middle class, like, right on that middle class line. You know, we did good enough once we got bigger, and, like, this is when I'm, I'm talking about, like, when we're in Texas. We moved around a lot in Chicago. But we were, you know, like, middle class enough to be able to afford a house and stuff, um, have our needs met, etc., but we did not really go on vacations. We went go. We would go back home to Chicago to see our grandparents and stuff. Um, but we talk about my brother. And I talk about all the times. Like, what vacation can you think of that we went on? And we laugh all the time because we're like San Antonio. Like, we went to San Antonio. <laughs> we went to the Riverwalk. Um, and there's this picture of us there, and um, it is just so funny. We laugh all the time. I mean, let my parents tell it. You know, they're like, well, we, we did stuff. We're like, no, we didn't go on our, we did not go on a real vacation. That's okay. So, um, so yeah, I, I would say that because there was just so much love in our home. Um, and my dad worked a lot, a lot, uh, a lot of hours to provide for us. And he was, uh, worked nights for a good bit of our childhood. And my mom spent time homeschooling us. My brother started um, being homeschooled in second grade and I was from kindergarten all the way through. And they were pretty uh, vigilant about what we watched as well. So it was really limited. We could only listen to Christian music. Uh, and Motown. We got yeah, my, yeah, yeah. We could listen yeah. to the music my parents listened exactly. to when they grew up. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we could listen to that stuff too. And we could listen to jazz. Um, but yeah, every, you know, my dad was always listening to Sade, you know, like we could listen to stuff like that. But, um, all the other stuff, no, we could not listen to it. And then we did not watch TV during the week. We um, had to either read a book or we were listening to audiobooks or radio shows. And um, we could only watch TV on the weekends and we could only eat candy on the weekends. So, um, but Friday was when we would go to Blockbuster. We would get our movie that we wanted to watch. We could stay up as long as we wanted and we could eat pizza. We looked forward to Friday every single week this this changed a lot as we got older okay so you know the tv stuff changed when we became teenagers um uh, but for the majority of our our childhood those are the rules so it for us though we'd never felt like super restrained though my parents i know for, for some people listening you might be like what but we were never uh restrained uh i don't know if restrained is the right word we were never like so sheltered to the point to where we were having this like extreme visceral reaction to the outside world like wow like we've been you know <laughs> like we've been hidden from all of this and then you know you just go you know book while crazy that just was not necessarily like you know me in per se in my experience but um but yeah it was good it was a good time so Catherine how would you say your identity was shaped by the activities or experiences that you had outside of your home, like school or church? Um, did you ever feel like you um, fit in or didn't fit in um, or felt out of place? Did you ever have any of those moments? 
Yeah, I would say it was hard because we, so I went to a private Christian school till I was like in the fifth or sixth grade. And the transition from private school to public school was so hard. I just feel like when we were in a private Christian school, most of the people I feel like had similar like experiences where like their mom didn't let them listen to like secular music or they, you know, whatever. And then when you go to public school, it's like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. And I, and I literally can't, <laughs> like, you know, and it, and so I feel like I often, that was like the fifth grade, sixth grade was really just a struggle just cause I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know what was cool, like even to wear because we wore uniforms, uh, private school. Um, and so I really, I think for a while, I think probably from fifth grade to like eighth grade really struggled to kind of like, um, find my place. And then I think also to just, I remember getting made fun of a lot about the way that I talked about like, oh, you sound like you're a white girl or like, why are you speaking like that? And like, you know, as a kid, it's like you're processing. You're like, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know what you're saying about how I talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had like a complex for a really long time about like I hated talking on the phone. I feel like doing this podcast is like a way of like fighting back against that inner childhood like issue with my voice. Yeah. And then I think in high school, I think the same thing with my parents too. Like we were really sheltered, but I feel like when we got to high school and like in college, like increasing like boundaries um, because they had built this like foundation so like I didn't really have a curfew which all of my friends in high school thought was so crazy I just had to tell my mom where I was and like had to like say okay I'm I'm coming home and then be home within like 10 to 15 minutes because there was nothing like to do out Mm -hmm. far away but yeah I felt like I think I felt out of place for a long time mainly because like when I went to public school day to day I just wasn't none of my friends were Christians like Mm -hmm. they all either had different religious traditions or were not from religious households at all and so like explaining to them like oh I don't cuss or like this or whatever and like luckily you know they were great at like respecting those boundaries so like I found a group of people that were like okay Catherine's kind of weird with this like holiness stuff (laughs) (laughs) but okay like don't ask her like I have this very vivid memory of one of my best friends in middle school her mom came to pick us up from school and on the radio like her mom was listening to um that genuine pony song Uh and my friend gets in the car and starts singing along and is like so excited and she's like come on mom and her mom presses the button and she's like no (laughs) and she's like mom this is like our song and she's like Catherine's in the car we're not gonna listen (laughs) and I remember being like mortified because I was like why can't she listen to this song about a horse (laughs) that is so funny oh my gosh so mortified and she it was so I was hysterical and like we we laughed about that for years afterwards she was like remember when you thought pony was about a horse (laughs) so yeah I mean I think I just and then I think at a certain point it just was like this is just what it is like I I can't change like my family I can't change um like my experience I can't change my parents although I will say that my parents were way less strict with my sister by the time I feel like parents get tired they spend a lot of energy parenting their oldest child (laughs) and then by the time they get to their last kid they're like "Eh, she didn't die (laughs) like what's the worst that can happen um but I will say like looking back on it to something you said earlier like I'm very grateful that I was allowed to be a kid and that I did not grow up 
fast, like that I was naive about the world and a lot of things like, um, but that my parents did do it in a way that like when I left home, I wasn't like gung ho about like, like, let me rush out and go crazy. But yeah, I feel like that was just like characterized my childhood where I was just like, okay, I'm a little weird. It's fine. And now I, my like slogan is like, I just like lean into the awkwardness. Like, cause what else can, I mean, what else can you do? I think you just got to get to a point where you're just like comfortable with yourself. But yeah, I was, I felt out of place a lot yeah. in my childhood. So what about you? Um, I, It's so interesting because, like, I had these... So, I lived in Chicago um, until I was six, which meant that I spent a lot of time with my paternal and maternal family in those early years. Um, And then when I moved to Dallas, when my, you know, you're younger and your memory starts really kicking in as a kid... um, I made a lot of black girlfriends, um, and we're going to a predominantly black church. So um, even though I was homeschooled, we were always busy doing something, playing sports or whatever. And a lot of those spaces, especially because we were homeschooled, we were like some of the only. Um, But when it came to our close friends that we made from church, we were with black friends all the time in, um, in Dallas. And so it was a lot of fun to be around them. I definitely still felt like a little odd like the odd one out because there's just so much even going to church and you know they were singing different songs and stuff I didn't know what anybody was talking about like there was so much I feel like I missed out on um like black culture wise during those years because I just wasn't allowed like so I just I didn't know and um I definitely felt like what you're talking about Catherine that awkward black girl syndrome a little bit like um you know, and so trying to find my place, even within black spaces, um, so young, I was trying to figure out like where I fit in. And then you go to white spaces that I was also in and, you know, trying to fit in there. It was like, this is totally, you know, it was just totally different. And so I just always felt like it took me a while to settle into myself and to find my footing, I will say. And so, but I did make good friends. I was always really social, so I always had good friends. And um, I had community in that way. People did tease me about the way that I talked. I got it from black people and white people. Um, You talk like a white girl. But my mom was really, like, serious about us not talking slang. We were not allowed to speak in slang in the house. And if you did, you got in so much trouble. Like... You know, in the sense of she's going to correct you, not like you're getting like disciplined or anything, but it was just like you just knew not to do it. And um, it was just kind of like one of those things. So we were really just, you know, had grown up in such a way to where it mattered how we presented ourselves, how we showed up. And obviously for a reason, you know. Our, our parents learned about respectability from their parents and so on and so forth. And so um, I just think there was definitely some of those elements within my childhood. Um, but also, I feel like my mom worked really hard to make sure that we knew we were never inferior to anyone. And um, that really helped me with my confidence. But yeah, my childhood, I would say, was definitely filled with feeling like an awkward black girl. <laughs> Shout out to Issa Rae for making awkward black girl like a thing and for all the awkward black girls to come like that. It's yeah, it's cool now. I think that's right. I really feel like to your point about not speaking slang, 
for my dad, for both of my parents as professionals, my mom stopped working when I was like in seventh grade or maybe sixth grade. But when she did work and then my dad, most of my childhood worked, they were probably the only person of color in their department. And when I say person of color, black, any kind of color. And so really, I think it was a big part of what they were trying to instill in us is like how to go into these spaces and feel comfortable and know that you're like on the same footing. And so, yeah, my dad was really did not like for us to speak slang. Yeah, I'm just really I'm, I feel like I'm very, to your point, like very grateful um, for those lessons and like how to walk into a room. And I do think it's hard. I mean, some people might not think this is like worth celebrating. But yeah, like I have a good friend that when we were in law school, when they were like, because being a lawyer is all about like networking and business development when we were doing like workshops on that like she really struggled she was like I don't know what to talk to white people about what are they interested in I don't know so funny. um and and I remember being like what do you mean what do you talk to them about their people like you know sports you know she's like you know she just and it was really like I remember me and another friend really having to like coach her like here's some things that like common topics or whatever and she had a great childhood. I loved her parents. They were wonderful. But, you know, she had grown up in Houston in a predominantly black neighborhood, predominantly black high school. Um, and, you know, she knew a lot of things about black culture I did not know. And I was super jealous. Like, I didn't see school days like Spike Lee's magnum mm-hmm. opus to like black college culture till I was like in my late 20s. So, you know, there are always trade offs. But I just remember <laughs> we thought it was quite my friend and I were like, what do you mean? What do you talk to them about? That's funny. So, you know, but yeah, my parents were doing the best that they could to like set us up to, to prepare you six, for a world, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. That yeah. does not celebrate blackness that you have to that does not exist celebrate. within, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, for them, it was a survival mechanism. That was 100%. I was, yeah. Of like, I think it's really easy to like judge older generations of like, why did you do this? Like one of my like least favorite things is I hate seeing that shirt where it's like, you know, I'm not my grandfather. I'll put hands on you or something like that. Oh, of like, yeah. And I just feel like it's kind of disrespectful in the sense that like, one, it tells a single story about the civil rights movement because there were plenty of black people that were fighting back Very and that true. owned guns and <laughs> were not members of the nonviolent movement that's one but number two like for grandparents and great-grandparents that did do that um it was a survival technique in a world where people could commit and can commit violence against black people with impunity um a survival tactic that led to your existence and privilege and your ability to like even wear a shirt like that and so i just feel like one is just like for i think giving previous generations grace for figuring out whatever strategy for them allowed them to survive in an anti-black world absolutely and i mean i think we wouldn't even be able to think of new ways and new ideas of existing and being and trying different things if it wasn't for them so we have to you know give them their flowers because it's due so i just think that's a big it's a really big part of the conversation as we talk about identity um and how that's formed especially when you're um in different contexts and have different privileges than your parents and you know even you know grandparents might have had (laughs) 
Hey everyone, it's Faith Brooks here. I'm so excited to let you know that my new book, Remember Me Now, A Journey Back to Myself and a Love Letter to Black Women is now available wherever books are sold. So go ahead and get yourself a copy, share it with a friend, and I am just so excited for you to get this book into your hands and I can't wait for all of us to be able to talk about it soon. Okay, so were you, did you ever find yourself like impacted in any way by being the only black girl in a room or one of the few in a room? Yeah, I feel like when that would happen, it's like that thing where it's like you become the avatar of your race. (laughs) And so it's like you don't want to do anything that's like embarrassing or you don't want to like, you know, you want to say as a disclaimer, like, this is my experience. This doesn't apply to like every black person. And I just remember oftentimes one thing I think that characterized, especially as I got older in my teenage years, when people would say things that like looking back, I'm like, Oh, that was like racist. Mm -hmm. And you're like the only black person in the room, even if it was like racist towards like another like race or like culture or ethnicity, just like that moment of like freezing and like not knowing what to do and being like, um, I don't trying to figure out like how to say like that's not appropriate um or like I'm uncomfortable without being like labeled or (laughs) you know and I just feel like one thing I'm like very grateful for is for our generation and particularly for Gen Z is that they are finding their voices on these issues so much younger than like I did um like and I'm just astonished and I'm amazed at how they think about these issues mm-hmm. um, as an older, a geriatric millennial. <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember, like, yeah, that was really a struggle. And I think, yeah, it's just you, you're you trying to figure out who you are, that you are different, um, but in a way that's, like, yeah, honor. And it's a lot to put on a kid. I just feel so like much. it's a lot to put on a kid. And I just, I would say... Yeah, you just freeze and then just, like, trying to process through that and then talking to your parents and, like, um, yeah, it's, like, how do you handle... And I'm sure I know I didn't get it right or I didn't do... I definitely know that there were times that I reacted to things or didn't react to things um, that I would not... I just... If that situation happened now in my 30s, I would... It would be a totally different situation. (laughs) But as a kid, you just don't know. You're just like, okay, I guess this is what they think of black people or there can be this impulse to be like well i'm not like you know i'm like a good one exactly because you want to be accepted yeah Yeah, and just like how toxic that sort of thinking is i would say probably is like the sort of the big thing for me what about you i agree with everything you said because i've definitely had all of those experiences it took me a long time to find my voice specifically in, in like speaking up for myself and addressing racism. I think college really kind of pushed me over the edge, um, like towards like the beginning, middle of college. And as a teenager, I started like really paying attention, but I did not have like the bravery enough sometimes in those rooms when I would hear people say stuff to call it out. Um, I was nervous. Sometimes I was scared. I I wanted to be accepted. I wanted friends. And at the time, I was too young to really process what assimilation was doing to me and how I would have to, like, unravel myself from assimilating and really work hard to find my own identity. 
but I didn't know them because I was young. So like you, there was things people would say um, or be like, you're not like them. And I used to feel good about that. I feel like so embarrassed to yeah. say it now, but I used to feel so good about like, okay, like I'm fitting in, I'm being accepted. And at that time, it really was not as tumultuous um, politically as it is today. And so you didn't even have the added division of like, the political divide, if you will, there really wasn't that back then. Um, it was there, but it wasn't as, I mean, it wasn't the way it is now. Um, <laughs> so yeah. it wasn't that way. And so that meant that even when it came to things like systemic racism and elements like that, those are not topics people were talking about at the time. Um like amongst younger people. Now, younger people today, the same age as I was, are talking about that. Um, But we were not talking about that um, back then. And so, you know, I was still finding my words. I knew some of the stuff they were saying to me wasn't right. I also knew some of them didn't know what they were talking about either because they probably heard it from somebody else. And so I don't hold any ill will towards, you know, those those white people. Um, But I do think that assimilation trying to assimilate over the years, I feel like I paid a high price because I really had to focus on reconnecting to my blackness and my identity. Um, I really had to be okay with realizing, um, like Hamina Brown says, there's no, um, you can't tell a black girl how to black girl, which meant that whether I had seen all the um, black movies or whether I listened to all the black music or not, I'm still black. I'm still showing up. This is still my lived experience. Nobody can take this away from me. But, you know, I was always so scared to play Black Card Revoked because I was like, mine's getting revoked. I know it is. (laughs) And sometimes I would try to memorize the answers on the cards. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. Like, you will not cast me out. Okay. No. I saw... So, I mentioned the Spike Lee movie I saw one summer. I think it was, like, in my mid-20s. Because I lived... I was in law school, and I did, like, an internship in Houston. I lived with one of my older cousins. And she was like, what? You haven't seen this? And then she, like, made me tell her everything I hadn't seen. And we, like, through the whole summer, she made me watch every Black movie that I had missed. And she was like, I did not know Aunt Zelda and Uncle Eddie were keeping these things from you. (laughs) She's like, you can't leave here not knowing this. (laughs) So... He was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, I tried to memorize. I thought Black Card revoked. I'm like, uh, what's everyone else doing? Okay, that's oh my, gosh, my I would be sweating <laughs> playing that game. I'd be like, you know what? I'll be the person that reads um, some of these cards or I'll hand them out. I'll count. I'll be the tallier. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but it's even still like, you know, even though there were times that were rough, I feel like nothing is, you know, nothing's wasted. Um, there are some experiences I always say if I now if I could if I could go back in time would I probably pick a different school to go to for college yeah probably and have less student loans but at the same time like here we are and um, there's just so much I've you know learned and grown from and I I carry my um, heritage with pride and the way I choose to show up as a black girl I would say law school was pretty informative time for me because I for the first time was in a space yes it was predominantly white but I found a really good group of girlfriends black girls who had similar experiences and I think they were the first ones to say to your point of like you don't you can't teach a black girl how to black girl like you're black and like this is how you show up in the world and like 
I would say my best friend too of like uh, like her experience like her dad was a pastor in Austin which is a predominantly white town so he had done like a lot of like civil rights work and so like just watching her and him um, sort of navigate like what does it mean to be a professional per- like black person how do you show up and still be true to who you are and your culture and your heritage yeah and how you show up publicly and how you push back um I think that's probably like in my mid-20s is when I was like oh wait like you're not being a problem to be like hey you know that's not and for the people that think you are being a problem that's not like the space for you yeah you know and so I think that was actually a really formative time in terms of understanding my identity of understanding like despite how in black and white environments I was made to feel like you know like different I don't know like that special black feeling like yeah I would say the same of like feeling like oh this is good but then you get to a point where like this is really uncomfortable like why do you think these like black people that you're denigrating are part of my family and so you know but like learning getting language to speak to I'm not a special black person. Yeah. I'm a regular. I'm also and not you, your get out of jail free card for your racism. I'm not your get. Please don't bring up my name. If <laughs> I have a black friend. <laughs> no, you don't. Actually, you don't. Please don't speak. Don't speak my name in those conversations. Like, so yeah, I feel like that was like a really formative, really formative time for me. But yeah, it was kind of like later in life. And like to your point, like I'm so grateful for my childhood. I feel so blessed so blessed the older i get the more i realize what a blessing it was to be raised by eddie and zelda freeman um but i also think yeah like nothing is wasted you know i would do some things differently but i think nothing is wasted in god's economy so yeah i completely agree um okay our last question we're rounding this out um if you could encourage your younger self what would you say how would you encourage her yeah um, I think that nobody can tell a black girl how to black girl. Like if you, that is such a good word. Um, Amina, that is such a good word, especially if you grow up in the suburbs, you just feel, um, yeah, that maybe you're not doing it right. And I'm grateful now that there are so many more kinds of representation of what it means to be a black woman. So like you get, you know, for every Maxine, there's Khadijah, there's Regine, like you can see yourself in so many different types of black women. So I'm grateful for that. Um, But I also think like God didn't make, I would say God didn't make a mistake in how he created you and the places, you know, who know, like you can't even imagine the places that you'll go. Um, And like really taking to heart, like sometimes you're just not meant to fit. And like the things that you have to do to contort yourself to fit into these spaces, it's not worth it. And these places and these people are just not for you. and that can be hard and it can be lonely, but it, in the end, you're you're better off. I love that so much. I think if I could talk to my younger self, I would say be uniquely you without apology. Don't be afraid to disappoint people. And stay grounded. And usually there's either one or two people in your life that can help you stay grounded. Um, But find those people in your life that can help you stay grounded. And don't let anybody intimidate you or make you feel like you're less than. Oftentimes, I think as kids, you meet some people. Maybe they're a little bully. Maybe they have these different insecurities. 
but their insecurity tries to ignite an insecurity within you by what they say and don't listen to the naysayers don't listen to the haters they'll always be around you know and you just have to make a decision on whose voice you're going to let be really loud and um, sometimes you just have to remind yourself that you know what God put me here for a reason and for a purpose and I'm not going to let someone's silly little words like hurt me or harm me We don't have time for it in this episode, but man, oh man, I could tell you story after story about somebody that said something to me that I had to spend time to unravel and um, take that, take that mess off of me and, you know, believe the best (laughs) about myself because somebody spoke some negativity over my life and now I'm stuck, you know? And so um, it's just so important to encourage yourself. So if you do have a... Um, a child, if you do have a young black girl, encourage her, encourage her in her beauty and her blackness, her style, her culture, make her feel so loved because there's so many images around um, our society today that still favors whiteness over the beauty of um, blackness, our brown skin. And these girls need to know how much they're loved and how beautiful they are. Yeah, no, I think that's good. And I would say one more thing. I would say I would want to add you have been blessed to be a blessing to others. I feel like as a kid, you don't really know this. But I do think as a teenager, and this is something parents can model. And I think my parents did. But I feel like I always did it with like such stinginess of like not wanting to like share even with my siblings. But yeah, that like everything that you've been given the privileges and the blessings like and you might not think you have a lot like your childhood might not have looked anything like faith and on art but everybody has something to give to the world and like to be intentional about cultivating that gift and that giving habit as young as you possibly as possibly can i mean don't give in the sense that like you know we we talk about a lot like black women will give and be like depleted but i just think yeah i will i wish I, my younger self would have been less stingy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, gener- generosity. Just, like, creating and so, cultivating those habits and yeah. moments of generosity. And it doesn't have to be, like, material things. I think even just, like, gifts of leadership or even just gifts of, like, seeing other kids maybe, like, struggle and being like, well, I'm not going to extend, you know, my, you know, self to, like, get involved in the situation that doesn't involve me. And I just wish I would have been more, like, generous, even... Um, in that sense yeah that's really good so y'all that's gonna we're gonna leave you with that go be generous go be kind to somebody today if you don't have any money or monetary way of doing it you can just simply do it like any way for free text somebody encourage somebody um be generous with your time and your energy and um, bye remember me now if you want to hear more about faith's reflections about being a suburban black girl um because one way you can encourage young black women is to get them books and movies and things that represent their culture where they are can see themselves in those stories thanks so much for joining us y'all like and subscribe on the podcast review us on apple podcast share it with your friends and family and we will talk to you next time bye, bye.